than worshiping the Lord today on the first day of a new year. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, begin our time of worship together. Great song of the faith, how great thou art. God, indeed, if you'll bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for this first day of the new year, that we get to come into the house of the Lord and we get to praise you. What an incredible way to kick off this new year. God, we praise you for this time, for this day. 
We just ask you to be in this place as we worship you wholeheartedly. We love you. We praise you. We lift this up to you. We just thank you so much. It's in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, you may be seated. I am so thankful to be greeting you on the first day of 2023. Um, if you are a guest with us, we would love to get to know you a little bit. In the pew pocket in front of you is this guest card. If you will grab that and fill that out, we would love to get to know you, get some information. We will be reaching out to you this week to just say we are so glad that you are here. And then for all of us, if we have know of any prayer needs that we need as a staff to be aware of, please fill this out and we will be praying over those this week as well. And then as the youth minister, I just can't help but tell you that Disciple Now is like two weeks away. I'm not stressed at all. Um, it's going to be a great weekend. Um, but um, for all of you parents and students out there who have not signed up yet, my t-shirt order is due Tuesday. So if you would like your child to have a correct shirt size that I don't have to guess about, um, grab one of these in the foyer, uh, scan the QR code on the front of your bulletin and sign your student up. It's going to be a great weekend and we are super looking forward to it. Let's have an awesome morning of worship. Amen, amen. We have a special treat for you right now. Last month, we had a special couple, special to me. I've known Ed for several years. We've been in Singing Men of Texas together for quite some time, and he has uh, been a music minister for many, many years and now works with the Hope Center. He's going to tell you a little bit about that in a moment, but he and his wife, Terry, joined our fellowship and were part of our Christmas cantata, and uh, they are going to sing for us today. And uh, so would you give them a First Baptist welcome and let them know you're glad to hear them. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I thought it would be good to introduce whom, let you know who in the world these people are who have kind of descended upon you in the last couple of months. Uh, uh, I am actually born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I'm a Yankee. I apologize. Uh, I know I claim that proudly. I love my Pennsylvania Hills, but my parents moved me to, to Houston when I was 12 years old. And I will never, well, I used to say I'll never forgive them for that, but if I, they hadn't, I wouldn't have met this lovely bride who's standing right beside me or sitting beside me. Uh, we've been singing together since high school. Uh, and that's because when I was 17 years old, I found out that uh, there was a big difference between just going to church and knowing Jesus Christ personally. And when I was 17, uh, I learned about what the cross meant to me. And so I, we love to sing about the cross. Uh, the Lord at that point saved me from a number of things. One was a, a, a life of abuse uh, verbally and emotionally at home. In fact, the night that I was saved, I tried to tell my parents what happened, and I was kicked out of the house. Uh, but I found refuge at my, my wife's sweet parents' home, and that was my refuge. And we'd sing together in her living room, and we've been doing it ever since. Uh, we've been together for over 50 years. That was 52 years ago next month, as a matter of fact, that that happened. And we've been married for almost 49. Uh, the Lord has taken us through a really... Uh, kind of a winding journey through all these years. Uh, we've been in ministry for 42 years in the music ministry uh, in various churches in North Texas. As Steve said, I've gotten to, been able to sing with the Singmen of Texas for all that time, traveled over the state, the state of Texas, all over the world, really, and just have loved being in the ministry of music. But uh, about 10 years ago, a little longer, the Lord said, I've got something different for you to do. And he called me into the ministry of full-time counseling. So I went back and got a counseling degree. And now I do full-time counseling. And then the Lord said, uh, we want you to do that. I want you to do that in Corsicana, Texas. And I said, okay. <laughs> and he sent me to the Hope Center. And the Hope Center is the joy of my life. Uh, if you don't know about it, ask me. Or ask, uh, who is it, Melissa? Uh, uh, there are people here who know all about the Hope Center. Uh, but I, that is my joy. We help women here. Uh, we have hope, helped uh, hundreds of women this past year. And that's what I love to do as a professional counselor. And so, uh, but it's all because of that day 52 years ago when I realized what the cross meant to me personally. So we're going to sing to you about the cross. Oh, 
forward to hearing a lot more of that to come. Amen. Stand together with me. If, if you have overcome something with God's help this past year, just raise your hand. If you've overcome something, amen. God gives us the power to overcome. I, I look out here, I see Nanette Nicholson. Last time I saw her, she was in the hospital. And uh, so we're glad she's here today. Good to see you, Nanette. And uh, amen. Give God praise for that. How many else, how many else, uh, others of you have, were in the hospital this past year and you're here this morning? Raise your hand. Yeah, look at all these hands. Praise the Lord that you're here today. Amen. This next song is a great song called Overcome. And it just reminds us that God, with God, He gives us what we need, the strength to let us continue to carry on and to overcome whatever comes our way. Let's worship the Lord together. It's a great song.
Father's love Destined to die Poured out for all mankind God's only Son Perfect and spotless one He never sinned Suffered as if he did. All authority, every victory is yours. All authority, every Blood 
give the Lord praise. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful name. What a powerful name. The name above all names. Father, we worship you today. It's our prayer on this first day, this first Sunday in this new year. Father, that we would carry your name with us everywhere we go. Father, that we would be light in a dark world. That we would proclaim that you are our Lord. Father, thank you for allowing us to overcome battles that we've been faced with this past year. Father, give us strength to overcome battles that we'll face in the coming year. Father, keep us close to you, abiding and trusting in you, our hope. Father, we lift up our pastor today. Father, give him words that you want us to hear today. Thank you for singing over us in this place today as we worship you. Our prayer is that you've been pleased today with what you've heard today from our hearts, from our lips, from our minds and our souls today. We worship you. Thank you for bringing us together today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you so much for being here. I just want to say I love our music ministry. I love Brother Steve and all of these who lead us Sunday in and Sunday out. It's been a great music season for us. Uh, choir did just an amazing job with our Christmas cantata. And Ed and Terry, so glad to add you to the mix with our music ministry. And um, I just praise God for them. Would you join me in giving them a hand and just thanking them for all the work that they put in? Amen to all of that. Welcome to 2023. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? Can you believe that? Um, I was thinking about that this morning. Several of you said you wrote 2023 um, down for the first time as you wrote your tithe and offering and you dropped it in and, and you actually got the year right. It's always a big deal when we do that. I've had a hard time kind of comprehending um, that we are in the year 2023. Um, we've arrived in the future. And that's the way we're going to see that this morning. 2022 is gone, and um, what a year it was. There's so many monumental things as we look back. I love the chance to look back at all that's happened in a previous year. I love those years in review uh, that we enjoy. Uh, 2022 was the year that Queen Elizabeth II passed away. Uh, most of us never really knew any others in the monarchy of England, and so that was a significant event. It was a year that Russia invaded Ukraine and war returned to Europe and that's really hard to fathom that. It was the year that the Supreme Court stood for life, and we praise God for that significant decision that they made. Amen to that. Amen. Um, We won't applaud this. It was a year of inflation. Um, We certainly have seen that, and we know that today, a year that COVID really changed and eased up, the year uh, the Olympics happened yet again. Uh, We could add a lot of things into our list, but we will say that 2022 was quite a year. But as we sit here this morning, here's what we know, that all of that is behind us. And we are marching into the future together And I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this much, but the questions that we often ask about the future, they're very short-sighted. And let me give you some examples of these. I think I wrote about this in the bulletin today. Uh, We ask questions like this. Hey, what are you going to do this weekend? That's our futuristic question. Uh, We say things like, "Um, what, what do you have planned for spring break? Uh, what does the future hold for you after you graduate? And, and sometimes that's about as far out as we think. But this morning, I want to stretch us a little bit. And many of you have already come and talked to me on the landing about my question. But the question is this, where are you going to be in 40 years? Now you say, Pastor, where did you get that number? Well, I, I want to talk to you about this movie that came out of Hollywood several years ago. How many of you have seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Okay, so if you've seen this movie, it, it's a little bit dated now, but it's still it's still one that you might want to go check out. If you haven't seen it, it's based loosely on Homer's Odyssey. It's a story of these simpletons who end up in prison for a variety of reasons. I, I think some were making moonshine, producing bathtub hooch, whatever it was that, that they were trying to make, but they end up in prison, and their names are Everett McGill... Peter Hogwallop, and Delmer O'Donnell. So think about those names. Everett McGill, 
Pete Hogwallop and Delmer O'Donnell, and and they decide that they're going to escape from a Mississippi prison chain gang. And so Everett, played by George Clooney, and that's why probably some people went to see the movie. They they tell they t- he tells the other two that if they go with him on this prison escape effort, that there's going to be this large um, cache of money right from this armored car heist he did years ago, and he's going to let them split that up with him. He promises them a share if they'll run away with him. Well, the truth is he didn't really ever um, steal from an armored car at all. He just wants to get out because he wants to get to his wife before she marries another man. Well, finally, he breaks the news to his two very simple-minded friends. And he tells them that there's no money. There's no large stash of cash, if you will. And so they process this in disbelief. And Pete, very simple-minded, remember, he stares off and he thinks out loud and he's, he's getting angry about the news that he heard. And here's what Pete says. He says, no treasure. I had two weeks left on my sentence. He said, with four years added time for this escape, I don't get out now till 1987. He said, I'll be 84 years old. Well, Delmer's too dumb to be angry, but he's just trying to do the math in his head. And he says, huh, I guess they'll tack on 40 years for me too. And Peter burst out again. He goes, 84 years old. And then Delmer finishes computing the math problem and he says, hey, I'll only be 82. (laughs) But it makes me want to ask the question, 40 years. 2063. Now when you think about it, and I think the older we get, the more we realize that this is true, time flies, so 2063, it's really not that far off, is it? And when you do the math, in this room this morning, reality begins to start settling in. There are some in our church that are young enough to still be hanging on in 40 more years. And let me just give some examples. Maybe Brother Danny and Steve and and Jeff, maybe we'll still be here, and maybe we'll be out of the twilight nursing home saying something like this, proud to be me, here and still kicking in 2063, right? Or maybe it's, it's Brother Tim. I mean, think about Tim in 40 years. He's going to be sitting at home in his recliner, An old married man, looking at his Apple Watch, focusing through his bifocals, right? He'll be reading an article about his upcoming retirement. But there's a good chance, and this is where many of you went this morning with me on the landing. There's many of you that you say, well, in 40 years, I'm going to be on the other side. I'm going to be swapping stories with Moses and Peter and Paul and Lazarus and James and John, listening to the wisdom of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, taking daily strolls with Billy Graham, and on and on it goes. I don't know what you're going to be doing, but I'm pretty sure that, that by 2063, many of this, many of us in this room are going to be with the church triumphant. Uh, going to be with the community of saints, the great cloud of witnesses that's cheering the rest of us on, right, to the finish line. But we still ought to be asking as a church and as people, where are we going to be tomorrow? Where are we going to be in 40 years? You see, this morning, I, I really want us on New Year's Day, and this happens so rarely, we have a really wonderful opportunity to think about our life, the chance to think about tomorrow, to ch- the chance to, to think about new beginnings, right, at the beginning of a new year. But more importantly, I ask all of this because I want us to group think today as a church. Where is First Baptist Church, Corsicana, going to be in 40 years? And then where is the church, capital C? going to be in 40 years. Let me take you back to over 20 years ago, about 24 years ago, probably. I attended a conference that talked about this exact subject. 
It was led by this Baptist pastor named Leith Anderson. It was called the Church of the 21st Century. It was a big deal, right? We were going to move into the 2000s. And all these pastors gathered to think about the future. What was it going to look like? And and where was the church going to go? And what were we going to be? We all wanted to know what the church of the 21st century was going to look like. And I'll never forget what Leif Anderson said. He gave an analogy. He compared the church to an old propeller-driven airliner, like a DC-3. And then he compared that DC-3 to a Boeing 747. And he said, hey, they're both planes... One's just an updated version of the other. And then he said, that's kind of how the church is. And here's what he said about the church. And I wrote it down 23 years ago. Here's what he said. The new century church will simply be an updated version of the old century church. It will differ in everything from cost to complexity, but both are the body of Christ and both share the purpose of doing God's work in God's way, trying to save those who don't know Jesus Christ and trying to build up and grow those who do. And I wrote it down because it was a great answer. And a great answer then is still a great answer today. But here's the truth. We really don't know what the church is going to look like in 40 years. I mean, there was really no way back in the 1990s and 1999 and 2000 we could have ever anticipated all the changes that are taking place. I mean, think about this in some of your lifetimes, right? Think about the explosion of what we used to call the World Wide Web. I mean, it's just part of life now. Terms like iPhone 14 and Samsung Galaxy and and Google Pixel, those terms weren't even in existence 40 years ago. Immigration issues and global terrorism and technological advances, you see, the deck of the future, it's just full of all of these wild cards. And, And when I look at the bookshelves in my office, I see a picture of the church trying to figure out those wild cards. So in my office, these are the terms that are in all of those books. There's the seeker-sensitive church, and the purpose-driven church, and the missional church, and the simple church, and the gathered church, and the scattered church. And, And then there's these niche churches now, the cowboy churches, and the biker churches, and the racetrack churches, and, and all of these things are there. So, so we need to ask, right, where's the church gonna be in 40 years? Where's First Baptist Corsicana going to be in 40 years? Well, I'm thankful today that I believe that the Apostle Paul speaks to this in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you don't mind, go ahead and take your Bibles and let's go there together. Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16. Let's go ahead and, and start off the year right. Let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word today. And we're going to do this a little backward this morning. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I want to start off with verse 13 through 16, and then we'll double back, if, you, if we can, and look at verse 11 and 12. Verse 13, Ephesians four thirteen. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, he says, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by the every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Folks, this text, I think, is the answer to our question. Let's go ahead and be seated. So Paul is speaking about God's purpose for his church's future. And I think Paul's statement is a statement of hope. That the church in every age, every culture, every era, every time, and I'm sure you're sitting there saying, well, that's not what I expected the text to say. Because there's nothing about the form of the church 
There's nothing about the worship style, the instruments that will or won't be used, nothing about the physical buildings of the church, but instead, God's word here is about the life of God's people in every future. So here's the first point that I want to make in this message for us to settle into. The first point is this, the church of the future will be what it's always been in every place and every age. What's the church going to look like? It's still kind of going to look the same because our purposes won't change. In other words, the church is the Holy Spirit-filled community of the followers of Jesus Christ. We'll still be the people who are pursuing the mission of God. We'll still be the people who are rooted in faithfulness to God, the knowledge of God. And the church should be marked by maturity. The church of the future, the church of tomorrow, it should be marked by maturity. We ought to be maturing in our faith, not tossed around by false leaders, not tossed around by false teaching, not not blown around by unexpected gusts of cultural wind, but we should be a body of people working together, growing up and building up and going out. We ought to still be bringing them in, building them up and sending them out. Somebody say amen. Because we are a community that loves like Jesus loves. And that's what the church has always been. That's what the church should be today. And it's what the church should always be. You see, Paul gives us a picture of the church of tomorrow. But now let's go back to the text. Because obviously I skipped over verses 11 and 12. What, what's that about, right? Because I want you to see a group of people that stand behind the church. Let's go to verses 11 and 12. It was he, almighty God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So see, there is a body that's standing behind the church. It's talking about the leaders of the church. The leaders who are called to equip the saints to engage the most important mission in the world. Yes, it's talking about me as your pastor. It's also talking about leaders like our church staff. But it's also talking about many of you that are in the congregation today. You are our lay leadership. You're the men of the church that lead the way in those ministries. You're the women of the church. You're the young people who do what? The work. And I want to tell you what my prayer is today. And I'm going to ask it to be your prayer. That the church of tomorrow, that the church of the future will be led by men and women who have the capacity to think and learn their way into the future. I'm not talking about leaders who are clever with a little bag of tricks. We can all go to those conferences and say, well, this worked for me, and we bring that home and we try to open up the bag of tricks. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are filled with hope. I'm talking about people who are committed, people who are sold out to the gospel, people who are responding to the promise of God, people who know that God is the one who is always coming to us. The God of the exodus, the God of the empty tomb, the God who stands in the future and speaks to his people, the God who beckons us to come to where he already is. Do you realize, friends, that God is waiting for us in his future? You see, that's the kind of leaders that we need. That's the kind of leaders that need to be growing and developing. Those of you that can't imagine being here in 40 years, you ought to be growing and developing to become the kind of leaders that First Baptist Church needs. So the church of the future will always be what has been in every place and every age. Let me give you a second idea I want us to reside in for a minute. And this goes to exactly what I was just saying. The church of the future will be what leaders choose to make it. The church of tomorrow will be exactly what leaders, some in this room, some not in this room today, but it will be what leaders choose to make it. Because I believe with all my heart that God will use many of us 
many of you in this capacity. And I believe for many of you today that are not yet leaders, he wants you to be a leader. He wants you to get off the bench. He wants you to get in the game and to lead his church, this church. What do I mean by that? I mean that there are many people, and I've seen this all across these decades of ministry I've been in, they're faithful attenders of the church. There are many of you that I look out and see today, you always come to church, but you really don't ever do the work that's involved to make the church. And God wants you to get off the bench. God wants you to step onto the court, the field. He wants you to become a leader. You see, when we talk about the future, yes, it's 40 years away, right? So the call, perhaps in this message today, is for some of our young people to understand what it's going to take for the gospel to go forth. But let's be honest, the future is not just 40 years away. The future is 2024. It's 2025. The future is also next week and next month. So here are my questions. What's God calling you to do in the very near future? What's he calling you to be that you have refrained from being thus far? What, what's he calling you to step out and do? How, how can you lead? Let me give some specifics. How can you lead in our men's ministry in ways that you never have? How can you be a part of our of putting together mission trips that we have yet to take? How can you go into your Bible study unit, your Sunday school class, and lead that small group in ways that it needs to be led? How can you go out and find those who used to be with us, but they've fallen away? What can God use you to do to allow the church of tomorrow to be everything that he wants it to be? Friends, the church of the future will be what the leaders choose to make it. Let me give you a third idea. The church of today, it has to invest in the church of the future. Let me take you back to 1995. Now, in 1995, we were trying to figure out who Bill Gates was exactly. The Microsoft guys, kind of what we said back in the day. But but he wrote a book. I have it in my library. It's very interesting. It was called The Road Ahead. And it was one of the first books that came out with this digital version in the front cover. He tucked it in there, right? We didn't know what it was. We didn't know how to use it, what to do with it, really. But it was an attempt to describe the future of information and technology. And Bill Gates made some predictions in his book. I'm just going to list these for us so you can remember these with me. He said, one day... We would have a box on top of our TV in which we could receive incoming programming and we could record it to watch it whenever we wanted. One day, he said, we would be able to order up a movie on demand in our house. We thought he was crazy. One day, he said, and this is his term, we would have the wallet PC. And we all asked, what's a wallet PC? And then he described it in his book. I'm going to read it to you. He said, what do you carry on your person now? Probably keys, identification, money, a watch. You probably also carry credit cards, checkbook, an address book, an appointment book, a notepad, reading material, a camera, a cell phone, a map, a compass, a calculator, and photos of your family. He said, I predict you'll be able to keep all of those in one device called the wallet PC. I will allow, it will allow you to check messages, schedules, monitor weather, stock reports, and just play simple games. If you have it with you right now, would you hold up your wallet PC? What's a wallet PC? Well, it's a smartphone, right? We've seen Bill Gates' future, haven't we? Here's the point I want to make. Bill Gates could see the future because he was influencing it. Bill Gates could see the future because he was investing in it. Bill Gates could see the future because he was a part of making it. 
He was helping to create it. It was in his head. It was in his heart. It became a reality. And here's the point I want to make because this is what I believe. I believe the future of the church, it's already in our heads. It's already in our hearts. God has placed it there. He has told us the way to go. He has told us the ideas to have. And the future is only going to become a reality by us praying and thinking and working it into existence. You see, we have to walk by faith. We have to move with real God-given purpose into our future. It doesn't matter the changes of technology. It doesn't matter the demographics. It doesn't matter the ecology. Whatever the wild card is uh, that we can't really anticipate because we already have it in us. God put it there. He put the future in you. How many teenagers are in this room today? Raise your hands. God put the future of our church in you. You're not just our future. You're our present. You're not a side note to this church. You're the center of it. Okay? Everybody under 30, same for you. Everybody under 40, same for you. What do we need to invest in? If we're going to invest in our future, what do we need to invest in? I'm going to give you three things as a New Year's challenge that I'm going to ask you to commit to with me today. Here's the first thing. We must invest and pour ourselves like never before into the maturation of Christians. See, here's the problem. In our ministry, in my ministry, and in, in all of this, I have looked at the scorecard. You know what the scorecard is? The more people you have, the stronger your church is. You're doing bigger and better things because you had more people today than you had yesterday. That's the scorecard. And I get that to a certain extent because we want to bring lost people to Christ. We want to bring them into the gospel and see them get saved by our Lord and Savior. But I think the scorecard is wrong in a lot of ways. We have to invest ourselves and pour ourselves into the maturation of Christians. How do we know a church is healthy? Because it's producing maturity. It's taking a child, it's taking a teenager, it's taking a 20-something, a 30-something, a 40-something, whenever they come to Christ and they begin the process of being a spiritual infant and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow until they're a dynamic, soul-winning, discipling believer. And nobody has to feed them milk or spoon-feed them baby food spiritually because now they're mature. And that happens to us naturally in the, in the physical realm. But it doesn't happen naturally spiritually. You have to put in work. And we as a church have to put in work. We have to offer as many opportunities to disciple others. I'm going to say this again. You really ought to have a Timothy. Paul had a Timothy. He trained him as a younger person. You've got to find somebody that you're training up in the faith. And then if you're a younger person, you have to find somebody to train you up. We have to pour ourselves into that. That's the first commitment I'm asking you to make. We have to pour ourselves into the maturation of Christians. That's our new test. That's our new grading card for ourselves. That's how we know if we're being successful. Second, we have to pour ourselves and our efforts into producing a new generation of leaders. We have to do this. I love the way a friend of mine said it years ago. He said, you have to plant trees you may never sit under. I'm going to meddle just a little bit. Don't get mad at me, please. We have incredible Sunday school classes from some of our more mature believers. And we love those. Oh, we love those classes. And I know why you love them, because they're great classes. But some of you need to be called out of those classes to go pour yourself into a, a ministry to reach young people. We have a calling that the K-Parts have showed to go after college students. We need some people to go join them in that because it's already been proven. It's not easy. 
We brought college group after college group after college group from the Merrill into this church, and we picked up, eh, probably after bringing in up two to three hundred kids, we picked up two. That's how hard the work is. That means that we need to get out of our comfort zones and go join those who are being called of God to reach these generations and not relent. Get on that campus. Pick those students up. Take them into our homes. Bring them back. Make sure that they're in Bible study. Follow up with them. Mentor them. All these things. It's not about what we'd like. It's about what God's church needs. Okay? So I'm asking us today to commit to this. Pour yourself, pour our efforts into producing a new generation of leaders. The church's future depends on it. And then the last commitment I'm going to ask you to make. And Tim and Kathy did not ask me for this. Okay, they didn't say, hey, pastor, please help me here. We have to make our most focused work to be with teens and children. That has to be the heart of First Baptist Corsicana. I'm thankful this past year that I watched our Sunday school dynamic in the student ministry. It grew. There are some people in this room that stepped into roles, and God's using you in powerful ways. But we can do more. We can reach more kids. Folks, we have over 1,600 kids at Corsicana High School, and we have 40 in our church. How is that remotely acceptable to us? And and we're not talking about Mildred and, and all the other surrounding school systems that we can touch and impact. We have to pour ourselves into doing more and more. We didn't hire Tim to be a Lone Ranger. We hired him to lead a dynamic effort that all of us can be a part of. So I'm asking you to be a part of that. I'm so proud of Kathy and what she's doing with our children's ministry. And many of you in this room, you're involved in those areas. But we need to recover and restore all that's happening on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And, and, I, and I see all the time on prayer lists, Kathy's praying for somebody else to teach a class, and then it's there next week, and then it's there next week, and then it's there next month, and it's been there two months. That shouldn't be the case. She ought to be turning you away. We have to pour ourselves, our most concentrated efforts, into preschool parents into preschool children, into elementary children, into adolescent children, into young adults and families. That has to be the mark of First Baptist Church if we're going to have the future that God, I believe, wants us to have. Thank you for letting me speak straight to you because I think that's where we have to go. So let me close this way. Welcome to 2023. Welcome to the future. And think about it this way. Welcome to the infancy days of the church of the future. What do we